You're listening to audio from Living Grace Church in Tyler, Texas. To find out more about Living Grace, go to livinggracetexas.org. Good morning, Living Grace. Uh, it is so good to be with you today. Uh, we will be in Matthew 16, as Jamie has already read, and, and we will get to that in a second. But, you know, I wanted to remind you, so we are going through this series to figure out who we are as a church, right? Where are we headed? How are we getting there? Why do we do what we do? And we've already established that our mission, our goal here at Living Grace is that we exist to glorify God by enjoying him and making disciples who make disciples. This is what we're about. We're about teaching you how to enjoy God. We're about teaching you how to be a disciple-making disciple. And so this is what you have to realize is that, and what I want to remind you is that the reason that we talk about enjoying God as we did last week is because when you enjoy God, it almost comes natural that you want others to enjoy God as well, right? You want them to be able to experience this, you know, inner confidence, this quiet joy, this, this hidden joy beneath you that just seeps through everything whenever, no matter what goes on, you know that you have joy within you because you have been enjoying God. And we talked about what it means means to enjoy God. And if you missed it, you can go catch it at one of our past sermons on any podcast catcher. Uh, But what I want you to realize is that enjoying God is the engine by which we go and make disciples, right? Enjoying God is the engine by which we go and make disciples. And this is why I say that discipleship at its simplest form is to follow me as I follow Christ, right? Follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And we get that from the Apostle Paul. And so the reason that we're here in Matthew 16 is that I believe that it's one of the most beautiful passages ever, ever to be written in the Bible. There are so many great things in the Bible. This is one of my favorite portions of Scripture, especially as a pastor. Because, you know, there we see in verses 16 through 18, right? Or 13 through 18, where we see that Peter or that, that Matthew is writing, you know, what Jesus says. And it says that Jesus asked them, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And then we see that Peter says, well, some say this and some say that. And then Jesus says, but who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so what, what I want to be clear from the get-go is that in Catholicism is that this is the verse they use in order to justify and the reasoning of why they have popes and lines of succession is because here they understand it to say that, Jesus, that Peter was the rock that Jesus was going to build his church. But what we realize is that, no, no, like that's not the case at all. But we know that it is the confession of Peter, right? It's the confession that you are the Christ, the Son of God, that Jesus is our supreme treasure, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he died once and for all, that he is now an intercessor interceding for us day in and day out, that when we mess up, that we know that he promises 
to save us to the uttermost. This is the confession, right? That Jesus is Lord of all, that he is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the chosen one. He is the son of God. And this is what is the church is built upon, this confession. This is why all throughout history, you can have all these different believers who come together and can say we all love Jesus. And it's because we are based on this confession that Jesus, you are the Christ. He is the son of God. We believe he is who he says he is. This is the confession. This is what the church is built on. And Peter is not, you know, against this, right? We see in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, that 1 Peter tells us, as you come to him, talking about Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And so Peter says, I am, you know, he's quote scripture talking about Jesus. I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone. And so a cornerstone is what the whole entire structure is built on. And so Peter himself says that Jesus is the cornerstone. And Paul, the apostle Paul later goes on and says that, yes, he even agrees that Jesus is the cornerstone. So this is the confession it's built on. This is the confession is that Jesus is the cornerstone. And his promise stands that he will save us to the uttermost. But then in the same passage, Jesus says one of the most encouraging things as a pastor. What does he say? He says, I will build my church. His church, right? Not my church. Not your church. His church, which is his bride, which is his body. Jesus promises to build his church, because the universal church is what he's promising to build, right? This is what he's, he's not saying, I'm going to promise to build Living Grace Church in Tyler, Texas. I'm going to promise to build One Nation Church in Tyler, Texas. No, he's saying, hey, the universal church, all the believers that confess that I am the Christ, the Son of God, that this church, this universal church, I will build my church. And he promises to build it. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. Why? Because he is building it. But you see, his church is not just this organization or this just a building. But, and he's not saying, hey, I'm going to build this building. No, he's saying, I'm going to build the people, the body that make up the church. You make up the church. You are the church. Right? You make up the body of Christ. And so, but what you have to realize is this, is that, Though I, I, we, he is talking about the universal church, and though he promises to build the universal church, the universal church is made up of local churches. Right? A church like this, and a church like One Nation, and a church like Wake Church in Houston, you know, in the Conroe area, a church like Austin Stone in the Austin area, the Village Church in the Dallas, right? He promises to build his church through the local church. And you see, the local church is an organism and not an organization. And what I mean by this is, is like this, is that 
the people who you see here today, the people who are in front of you, the people who are sitting behind you, the, the people that you talk to before service, who you'll talk to after service, are not the same people that will be here a year from now, right? People move away. People change churches. You get tired of living grace. You, you want to go to another church or maybe some pass away. Some, whatever it is that there are going to be new people in this church a year from now, and the same people that are in here will not necessarily be the same people that will be in here a year exactly from now. And so we won't have the same exact people, but how do we grow? How do we adapt? How will this church continue to change and yet still be the church that Christ called it to be, right? How will we be the church Christ called us to be in the midst of of culture changing and everything changing? Because here's the thing, is that I believe that the church does not have to change with the culture, and the church can be the church and stay the church and be grounded and rooted in the scriptures that Christ intended it to be, because yes, some things change, but the thing is that what scripture tells us about the church, what we see in the early church, is what we will be and what our goal is here at Living Grace is to be that church, his church, not my church, not your church, his church, the church we see in the scriptures. And so how do we make sure that we are that church? How do we make sure that the decisions we make, the, the things that we choose to have three-hour meetings on, the, the decisions we make of, of color or the arguments or the frustrations of things that have no eternal significance or value that the apostles themselves would scoff at and say, you spend that much time talking about that? You spend your resources on that? You spend your energy on that? Like you're missing the whole point of why our Christ, our Savior, our Lord Jesus died on the cross was not to argue about the things that have no eternal significance whatsoever. And so how do we know we're aligned? How do we know that we are the church that Christ intended it for us to be? We have to look to the scriptures. We have to ask the question, what do we see in scripture about how Jesus designed his church? And so if we go to Acts 2, 42 through 47, and you can look on the screen behind me, you'll be able to see what I am talking about here today. And so let's read. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so what are the structures? What do we see? How did Jesus set up his church? And we see it right here in, in, the, in this passage, right? We see that they met inside the temple courts by the thousands, right? We see that they met regularly in the homes, breaking bread together and, and received their food with glad and generous hearts. But not only that, but that they were meeting the needs of those around them. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, right? Like, you have to 
ask your question, when was the last time that you sold something in order to help somebody who's in need, right? When did you think about selling your car or selling this or not purchasing this and willing to say, hey, okay, you know, I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to sell this so that this person who I know is in need won't be in need anymore, right? When's the last time you had those thoughts? When was the last time you were that generous? And so, Here are the structures that we see, right? They met by the thousands, and so we call this gatherings, right? What we do right here on Sunday mornings is that we gather as a church to come and worship Jesus. And then they met regularly in their homes, breaking bread together. And, and we, are, we call this house churches, right? We see these as little churches, and, and, and these are the house churches. And next week, I will dive a little bit more into what a house church is going to look like here at Living Grace. And then they met the various needs of those around them. And so we will call these ministry partnerships, right? We want to go and find the needs of those around us. We want to be able to go just last week uh, or a week before that. Jamie and I, uh, there was a local ministry that called Wonder Woman Outreach uh, or something like that. And we called to say, hey, you know, looking for partnerships, looking for ways that we can get involved in the community. And we called them and we were like, hey, what do you need? What are some things they need? And they were like, we need milk and canned meat. And I was like, milk? Like, there's like you don't want anything else. But it's because they go and they give away this milk and, and they give away this food to single moms and families in need. And so the thing is that I want us to find those who are in need so that we can be the church that Christ intended us to be, the, like the early church. But you see, today we will be talking about particularly gatherings and and what we will do on Sunday mornings and why we do what we do on Sunday mornings. But before we dive into that, I wanted to show you what will keep us grounded and focused as a church, right? What will drive these pillars to keep moving? What will drive us to keep gathering and, and meeting in house churches and ministry partnerships, and these four values that we'll talk about, they seep all throughout these pillars. They, they strengthen, they hold them together, and they will drive us forward and filter every decision we make as a church. And so what do we value here at Living Grace? Four things. We seek to be biblical, simple, relevant, and generous. Everything we do will be determined by these four values. And the three pillars of gatherings, house churches, and ministry partners only thrive when we are driven by these four values. And and each of these can be their own sermon series, but, you know, for time's sake, I would just lightly touch on each of them. So the first one is this biblical. Everything we do here at Living Grace is going to be based on the Bible, meaning every sermon that you hear, everything that we teach, the songs that we sing, from, from every decision we make, the scriptures are our, our, our guide, our foundation, our filter, meaning if the scriptures don't do it, then we don't want to do it. If the scriptures don't say it, then we don't want to say it. And, but above that is that the reason we go through books of the Bible and, and we'll go through what we call expository teaching is because of this, that we want to not miss anything in the Bible because there are certain parts of the Bible, right, that people want to skip over and not, you know, talk about or, or read because they're either ashamed of it or they don't know what to do with it or they don't think that it's scriptural at all. And you see, but here at Living Grace, we will not be ashamed of what the scriptures reveal to us about God. Colossians 1.25 tells us this. Paul says, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me 
to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Right, Paul says, I'm going to present to you the word of God in its fullness, not missing, not in pieces, but in its fullness. And I'm going to give it to you in its fullness. And then Paul told Timothy, who was a young pastor, in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4, he says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And so how many people does this describe today? Right. Don't tell me what I need to hear. Tell me what feels good. Right. This is it's so true. Right. How many people look for teaching that is not sound, that is not doctrinal, but instead it's, hey, tell me what I need to hear. Motivate me. Make me the hero of the story. Tell me how I can be more blessed when that is furthest from the scripture. Right. We see in scripture, like I talked about last week, is that God is sovereign and we are never the hero of the story. But the prosperity gospel, the false gospel will tell you, hey, if you do this, then God has to do this, but then that makes God a genie, and that's not what it's about, right? We want to preach the word, and if it offends you, it offends you, because it's not me you're offended with. It's with God, the living God, the creator of the universe, whom you have a problem with, not me, the scriptures, the God who wrote them. And so my job week in and week out, is to stand up here and expose and explain the scriptures, to show you what's in them, to show you the nuggets, the treasure that's hidden within them. But your job is to prove that it is true according to God's word. You're to go and say, is what Pastor Kai actually biblical? Is what he's saying actually seen in the Bible? Do I see what he sees in the Bible, or is he way off, right? And then you accept the scriptures as the word of God, and then you apply the scriptures to your daily life. Is that you wouldn't be like what James says, where you go and you forget what you look like when you look into the scriptures, but rather that you would look into the scriptures and see where you missed the mark, and then that you would change, motivated by the fact that God loves you and sees you, and you don't need to do good things to please him. So let's talk about the next value, simple. You see, I want you to realize that this building is a tool for ministry, right? This place is not sacred, but sacred things happen here at this place. This is why kids can run around and we're not going to lose it or feel like the Lord is going to punish us. Because who is made in the image of God? Not this building, but us. Because we are the church. You are the church. And so this is important because what makes this a church, right, is that the body of Christ gathers here. And so because of this, we want to be simple. The goal is not to make this a country club. The goal is not to make this the most comfortable things. If, if it's not up to me, because, you know, this is nice chairs and nice carpet. But if, if I had the opportunity, I would turn these chairs to plastic chairs. And I would turn this floor into a concrete stained floor, not for aesthetics, but to remind you that the goal of church is not for you to come and hear a sermon. 
The goal of church is for you, for me to remind you of your lines as if I was, you know, your actors on a stage and I'm just to remind you, hey, this is your line that you're supposed to be doing. In other words, hey, I'm to remind you to go and make disciples week in and week out, not to bring them here and you do nothing outside these walls. Right. So the goal is that you remember and you're reminded every single week that I have a role to play, that the Lord has given me a part to play in this church. You see, we don't want lights and smoke or playgrounds to attract people to living grace. That's not my goal. You know, in Isaiah, have you ever thought about what Jesus looks like? Have you ever thought about what Jesus would have looked like? Most people, you know, you see these paintings and, you know, it's this, you know, you know, chiseled jaw. And, you know, he's a carpenter, so they imagine strong muscles, which he might have had. But Isaiah describes Jesus in a way that most people probably don't think of Jesus. And he says this, for he grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground, and he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Do you think that is a like Brad Pitt looking dude? The Bible, Isaiah says, hey, he was not attractive. Nobody wanted to give him a second glance. Nobody wanted to get his number. Nobody wanted to give him a wink. Jesus was not attractive. But yet we as a church talk about the beauty of Christ. And so what makes Christ beautiful is not his form, is not of his hair and his beard or anything like that. What makes Jesus beautiful is his nature. That he chases after us when we are at our worst. That he died for us when we deserve to die the death that he died for us, right? What makes Jesus beautiful is his nature of how he is nonstop in love with us. And that even in our darkest moments, our sins bring him closer and don't push him away. That's what makes Jesus beautiful. And so the question is, how much more should should his body follow? That our goal is not to bring people who and make this place attractive to where people are like, I love living grace because my kid gets to go play in a playground, or I love it because it's such a production. No, no, no. We want people to fall in love with living grace because they have an encounter with God. And they say, I met Jesus there, and he saved me, and the gospel was preached, and that is what makes this place attractive. That's my goal. That's my dream for this church, is not to make the aesthetics to where people will fall in love with it, but that they fall in love with Jesus because we preach him in Christ crucified every single week and this helps us right because we then like i said earlier would ask would the early church fathers be concerned with this right and practically how does this work is that this is that it helps us in planning of events right is this event something that is beneficial or is this something that we're trying to attract people to Right? Is this event, are we making this bigger than what it needs to? Are we wasting more resources than what it needs to be wasted on? Right? It helps us in what we should buy and shouldn't buy as well. It makes us rethink things when simplicity is our value. Relevant. And so relevant is not, hey, we're going to you know, talk about every hot topic every week. But the goal of relevant is this, is that week in and week out, we don't know who will come and hear the word of God. But my goal is that if a seminary professor walks in who loves theology or just a guy who reads the, the most deepest, thickest books of theology, but yet a homeless man walks in who's never stepped foot in a church, that both would leave feeling that they heard the word of the Lord and, they he, and they've experienced God. 
And not only that, but that they've also said, hey, you know what? I've been challenged by the word of the Lord today, by the scriptures. And that's my goal when we say relevant, is that we want to make sure that everybody has the chance to feel challenged and have a moment to experience with God. And the last one is generous, or being gener- generosity. When you look at the early church, giving is seen all over. Right? Giving is seen all over the early church. They sold things so people in need wouldn't lack. Right? They sold things. When's the last time you saw somebody in need and you sold your car to give them the money that they needed? Right? Like, it's unheard of. But this was common in the early church is they sold things in order to help others who needed stuff. And they sold things. And so we want to practice simplicity for the sake of generosity. We want to practice simplicity for the sake of generosity. And so the goal, so as a church, if you don't know, 10% of our income, when you, 10% of what you give to us, we give away. We give to other churches, we give to church plants, we give to missionaries, we give 10% away, but that's not enough. My goal, my dream for this church is that we're so simple and we focus on the gospel and we focus on the things that are most important. My goal is that we give 50% of our income away. That's my goal, is that every time you give $10 or $100, that $50 or $5 goes to an organization, goes to a church in another country, goes to a church plant in local Tyler or somewhere else where they could use the money more. Where we, imagine $1,000 a month to the Wonder Woman outreach, how many gallons of milk they would buy. Right? And, that, and they're not the only ministry that we, I want us to partner with. There are many others. But my goal is we, I want us to be simple for the sake of generosity. And so... These are our four values, and, and even in generosity, you know, as we, next week I'll talk more about house churches, but my dream is that when we are meeting in house churches week in and week out, that if somebody has a bill that they're late on, that that house church will come together and say, hey, we'll pay that bill. When somebody gets behind on, on a mortgage, that they'll say, hey, I got money in savings, I'll take care of your mortgage for the next two months. That if somebody needs a car and they, you know, their car breaks down and somebody has an extra car, they say, hey, here, take this car as long as you need it, it's yours. Right, that we would be generous. Why? Because we understand who our Father is and He is our provider. And so these are our four values. Biblical, simple, relevant, generous. And these will drive us to be the church Christ intended us to be. But I don't want you to think that these are just fancy words and that every church needs to have these. But I want you to ask yourself, right, these values should be what describe you. So are you biblical? Does your life look like you are rooted and grounded in Scripture or do you only like certain things about Scripture and you skip over the other ones that you don't like? Right? I remember um, when I was in college, I didn't realize it, but I was a 1099 contractor. Nobody told me, but I was a 1099 for this uh, church that I was working at. And nobody told me I was going to be a 1099. So I thought, end of the year, taxes, I was going to get money back. I was getting ready for a tax return. And so when I go to TurboTax and I type in everything, it said I owe $2,000. <laughs> I'm in college. Like, I don't have that money. That was not saved. And so I was like, no way. Like, there's no way. So I, I literally sat on it. I was like, I can't pay it. Like, I literally can't pay it. So for two years, I mean, I didn't make too much money after that because I joined a church plant, and so I didn't make enough money. But when we got married, one year we filed our taxes, it came through, and it was like, you owe this much. And we, you know, we paid it. I paid my taxes. I'm not running away. But we paid the taxes. But I say that because, you know, whenever I got to Romans, I can't remember if it was 14, it talked about paying the government the taxes it deserved. 
and I would skip over that passage. I would avoid the book of Romans in college because I did not want to read that verse because it was convicting, and I knew it was coming. And every time I opened the Bible and I would see Romans fly by, I would get convicted, but I ignored it because I was like, it's not fair. I didn't know. Nobody told me. But I say that because do you do the same thing, right? Are there scriptures that you avoid? Are there teachings of Jesus you avoid because you don't want to wrestle and deal with it and pay your taxes, you know? (laughs) Do you live a simple life? Do you look like you're a slave to the way you dress, to the way you look, right? Do you, are you a slave to this image that you've created for yourself And so you waste money that you don't have, go further into debt, into ways that you cannot pay in order to fulfill this this facade that you show people, right? Or do you live a simple life so that you can be generous towards those around you, right? You live a simple life where it's not about you, not your money, but it's like, I'm going to set aside this money for in case somebody's in need and it'll be there ready to give to them. In your discipling others, when we talk about relevant, are you being understood? Do you actually know who you're talking to? Meaning, do you know the person? Do you know what makes them tick? Do you know their likes and dislikes? Do you know their history? Do you know how many brothers and sisters they have? Their aunt, uncle, what happened to them at 10 years old? Their favorite memory? What, what do they love most? Like, do you know who your discipling actually is? And the last one is generously. Are you known as a generous person? How often do you give because you trust in God's provision? Or the other question is this, how often do you seem more greedy because you don't trust God's provision? Right? How easy, right? Because when you're generous, it shows I know who my provider is, right? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. But when you're not generous, it shows that you don't really trust who God is. Because you're afraid if you touch that money that something might not be there whenever everything breaks down. But we trust that God will provide when we need him most. And so these values will drive our pillars. So the first pillar is gathering. And the next few weeks we'll talk about the other pillars. But every Sunday we will gather as the body of Christ, as the early church did. And we will devote ourselves to the public reading of scripture, which we did today. We will devote ourselves to the scriptures and to what the apostles taught and and what Paul taught and Jesus taught and everybody taught in the scripture. And so our gatherings will have certain regular components, all done with the aim of making disciples who make disciples. So in the the moments where we, we have silence, in the moments where we worship, in the moments where we listen to the sermon, in the moments where we sing, all of these are, the end goal is that it reminds you and helps you to practice what it means to be a disciple who makes disciples. Right, so when we have a weekly sermon, we're following Paul's example to preach the whole counsel of God. When we sing songs, we will sing songs that will exalt Jesus and proclaim great truths about God, right? It's not going to be songs that make us feel amazing, but we feel amazing because we remember how awesome God is. We practice silence because we have such hurried schedules, right, that many times in Scripture we're told to be silent. We're told to be still. We're told to just remember that God is God. And so that's why we take a moment in, in here. And, and today you're probably like, why is he explaining this? I want you to know because these are, these, this isn't just practices that make you a Christian, but these are practices that I hope you start to put in your daily life. 
that you would take moments to be silent before the Lord, that you would take moments to pray. The reason we pray for other churches, right, is that you would intercede for people. The reason we sing songs is because the Bible tells us to sing a new song unto the Lord. The reason that we give, the reason that we listen to sermons is because we see this in Scripture, and it's not just meant to be a Sunday morning thing alone. Right, and we haven't done it yet, but even communion, we will have communion here available at the church every week. And part of that is because some of you aren't here every week, right? You travel, some of you get sick, and so you're not here. And so let's say we do communion once a month. Like, let's say you get sick one month and you travel the next, and the next one your kid's sick or somebody's sick, right? Like, you don't get to partake in the remembering of the broken body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus shed for your sins when we gather. So we will have it weekly here at Living Grace. And the last one is we give in the giving part of the service is because we give because we've been given the greatest gift of all, which is our salvation. And that's why we give. We don't give because, right, it's like you're not going to be blessed or anything. No, we have received every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus when we're saved. And so now we give because we've been given everything, right? We're generous because we have everything that we need in Christ Jesus. And we can lose the world but still be content because we have Christ. And so we give because it's a discipleship issue, right? Giving is a discipleship issue because every time you give, you're saying, Lord, this is everything that I have is yours, but I'm giving this little bit back to you and saying, God, use it for the kingdom. Use it to buy milk for these women in a White House. Use it to help this, you know, sex trafficking local ministry here in Tyler. Whatever it is that we join and are a part of, whether it's a homeless ministry, that that money that you give, my goal is 50% of it goes to outside these walls. I do not want this place to be a magnificent palace that we're wasting your money. I want your money to go out where it's needed. And uh, if I can have the keys come back up. But what is really happening at these gatherings? Right? Sure, we have these elements you'll see, you'll use, you'll experience the worship, the silence, the confession. All of these things, these are all good things, but what I want you to not miss is that there's something going on when we gather that if you only look at the things on the outside, you'll miss these beautiful things that are almost run, like water running underneath it all, that are just seeping through, that is going on, that we can miss if all we focus on is the things that we see and not the things that we don't see. You see, the first thing is that we're worshiping our Father in heaven, right? We set aside a day to say, God, I need you. God, I need to be reminded of who you are and, and why I exist. I need to be reminded of my purpose to make disciples. I need to be reminded of your promises because I read it in your word every day, but I need somebody else to remind me you are faithful. And this is what we do when we gather. We need to be reminded of the gospel. We need to be challenged with the word. And some would say, I can do that at home, right? Why do I need to come to a church on a Sunday morning? Why do I need to go and gather in person? Why can't I just do that at home? And you see is that in the early church, we see that they gathered in person. They were in each other's homes. How many people here outside of your family have you been in their home? Right? The people that you've known a lot longer than I have, how many times have you been in their home breaking bread, eating pizza, watching something, how many times? You see, we, when you see everyone here, it should encourage you and remind you that you need people who are like-minded. You need people who say, yeah, I'm going to practice a life of simplicity so I can be generous to those around me. Yeah, I know it costs a lot to be a disciple of Jesus, but man, when I get together and I hear stories of other people making disciples, it encourages me that it's worth it. 
Bro, like just getting to talk with Brother Ray this morning, I was in tears hearing his story, just a few stories, and I was in tears back in the coffee area just to know and be reminded that, man, if I'm doing this for the next 70 years, it's going to be worth it. I'm going to be reminded of God's love even in 70 years from now. I hope, Brother Ray, I can make it as long as you have. But I need saints to look at and say, yes, it's going to be okay. It's going to be worth it. And then it reminds us that our salvation wasn't meant for us alone, right? Every empty seat is somebody who hasn't been discipled. Every empty seat is somebody that you haven't invited to church. Every empty seat is somebody that does not know the love of God and his grace and goodness and forgiveness waiting for them. It's somebody who doesn't know that Jesus is not mad at them, but wants them to come to him weary and broken and sinful so that he can fix them. He can heal them. Every empty seat is somebody yet to know the love of Christ. And so it should remind us. I hope even if we start growing like crazy that we still, I'm going to put out empty seats. I'll put an empty seat up here just to remind you, hey, there's still work to be done. And you see, even having online sermons is great. And watching podcasts throughout the week, and we have podcasts available, like these are all good things. Reading books are good things. But you see is online sermons Watching only online, reading books alone, listening to podcasts is not enough. And they're supplements. Those are good things. But when supplements replace the actual thing, is that it's not healthy. This is why we gather. And what I mean is this. Imagine you start working out and you start losing weight, but all you're doing is drinking shakes and and eating protein bars. Like, that's not healthy. Or you've got to eat whole foods. You've got to meal prep. You've got to actually do the things that take a little bit of effort. Because that's what the Lord, and so it's nothing wrong with the protein shakes, nothing wrong with the protein bars, nothing wrong with online sermons and watching online for a little bit when you're traveling, but that can't be the end-all, be-all, because you need it more than you realize to gather in person week in and week out. You have to hear these stories. You have to be in the homes breaking bread. It's not enough to be in, I mean, online. Because every one of you is important to this church. Right, Paul says, the eye cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. Right, everybody is an important part of the body of Christ. Just some of you don't know your role yet. Everybody's role in general is to make disciples, and that's the most important thing. But there are going to be areas here at the church where you can serve and you could be a part of. But for the most part, the biggest thing you could do is just go and make disciples who make disciples. And the last thing is this. If you haven't got a copy of uh, Gentle and Lowly. We're reading the book as a church. Meet on Wednesday nights. Love for you to join us. Uh, But we just finished chapter 10. And the author talks about Jesus. And he says this. When this is the last thing that goes on underneath a Sunday morning gathering. He says this. When sinners and sufferers come to Christ, the person they find is exceedingly excellent and lovely. Jesus is exceedingly ready to receive them. Given their sinfulness, they are shocked to find that their sins cause him to be all the more ready to plunge them into his heart. They unexpectedly find him with open arms to embrace them, ready forever to forget all their sins as though they had never been. The last thing that goes on in these gatherings is the heart of Jesus for sinners and sufferers. This is why we gather, to hear the gospel, to be reminded that we need Jesus. 
to be, just to hear the gospel again. Just say, man, yes, I need to hear that again, that Jesus loves me, that my sins don't push him away, that my brokenness doesn't push him away, that my skeletons in the closet don't push me away from being able to be a disciple making disciple, that they don't disqualify me from being able to enjoy God, that nothing disqualifies us because of his love, right? He talks about Romans 8, nothing can separate us, you name it, in the created order, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus for believers. We want the gospel to be preached because there is the power of salvation. And he wants to heal us and remind us that he paid for all of our sins. And this is why we gather. If you can stand with me. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. We hope this helps you on your journey to glorify God by enjoying him and making disciples who make disciples.